Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. What's going on, everybody? We are live with Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 189. Kyle Bennett, Matt Castorino, live from Underground Studios. As always, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot. Make sure you go check out all the sales they have going on this weekend. It is also Small Business Saturday, so go support your small businesses. Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Auto Mall, Mark Ronchetti, CPA, LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. And like I said, it's Small Business Saturday, so if you want to support your favorite small business in Underground Sports Philadelphia, head over to our Design Tree storefront, 20% off the entire website. That's dsgntree.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia. Use promo code Black Friday all weekend long. And get twenty percent off your order. What's going on, Matt? Just living the dream, you know. No, you did a little uh, nighttime run last night. How did that go? I did. Did the holly jolly run. It was very cold, uh, but you know, ultimately a successful run because I lived. <laughs> that is that is how That's I the judge. Key. Yeah, last run till the spring. At least racing. Be running in between then, but yeah, it's starting to get a little chilly, which is uh, making it, making life difficult. Not great. Uh, and of course, the Sixers also lived last night to uh, see another win as they took down the Sacramento Kings. Not last night, uh, but on Wednesday, they took down the Kings, ninety-seven to ninety-one. Kind of a early stretch run where they were dominating. Kings kind of hung around, but Sixers were able to get back into it and uh, come away with a win. Joel Embiid. Had a fantastic bounce-back game from his zero-point performance. 33 points, 16 rebounds. Ben Simmons with 10 and 14. And then Tobias was your second-leading scorer as a starter with 14 points. But this was the Matisse-Thibel kind of coming-out game where he had 15 points. Overall thoughts on this game because obviously the Kings not as good when De'Aaron Fox is out of the lineup for them. So good to see the Sixers take advantage of that and actually come away with a win against a, you know, inferior opponent yeah and uh it's a little bit of the blueprint we've seen with with weaker teams with the sixers where yes the the final score line isn't necessarily a blowout but they're in control the whole game and it, it always feels like the other teams at arm's length kings went on a few runs you know kind of brought it close but you know the sixers were just able to again keep them at arm's length and, and constantly pull away and that's that's part of just being a, a really good team and you know, you can talk about the losses they've had this season. They haven't really lost anyone where you felt like, you know, wow, we really shouldn't be getting beat by that team. You know, like it's largely been, you know, if, if we've lost games, have been to other kind of uh, contenders or, or playoff teams. So, yeah, beating uh, beating up on the Kings, pretty pretty smooth victory for us. And then last night was a little more the same against the Knicks. So, yeah, this is what we were talking about was beating the teams that you 
definitely should be and and kind of rolling through and, and you know padding the win column just so that you know as we get into the more difficult stretches of the season you know losses aren't as impactful and the east is still really tight so every win it, it matters now and is going to matter at the end of the season for for seeding but yeah it's it's good to see some good performances too from from all around matisse obviously you know he's a rookie so he's going to have you know in some inconsistency in, in game time and also in his own play um but yeah it was another good performance from him against sacramento and Again, you, you see some games, he kind of gets the leash let off of him a little bit. Uh, some games, you know, maybe he's, he's a little more reserved by Brett's uh, measure. But overall, I think he's been uh, he's been good. And he's, he's someone that you think is going to constantly kind of improve as he gets more and more reps. You know, that defensive, like, buster potential that he has is only going to grow because, you know, that IQ is just going to keep uh, keep going. So, And I think the biggest thing from the Kings game that stood out to me was we really didn't allow the Kings to get to the free throw line, even though, uh, you know, the fouls were there and they're always going to be there. But we only had 12 total fouls, which is huge for this team. Uh, and we got to the line 24 times, converted 20 of them, where the Kings were 4 of 9 from the free throw line. So in their limited opportunities, they were under 50%, and that's what you want to see. Uh, you know, when you have these opportunities, especially when the Sixers only shot 5 of 26 from 3. Yeah, it's when we've seen a few games like that this season where we have, it's strange when the Sixers have bad shooting nights. We have bad shooting nights, like, and it, we're really unable to buy, especially from beyond the arc. You know, five of twenty six seems like kind of the norm for when we're off. Um, and yeah, I mean that that variance is a little too extreme for my liking. You know, again, you're always going to have off nights, but it feels like we've had four or five games this season already where we're shooting like twenty percent from three, and that's just. That's something that uh, needs to be ironed out because, you know, in the playoffs, you, you get into a seven-game series. You can't afford to have that kind of variance, um, especially against stronger teams. But, yeah, it's um, it's interesting, you know, because we're typically t- a team, too, that uh, that does foul a little bit just by, by our nature. Um, and also, you know, hitting the, the free-throw rate that we had is also great. Yeah, we do have kind of good free-throw shooters. We don't have, obviously, someone like J.J. anymore who's... You're one of the elites, but um, yeah, typically, you know, 20 of 24 is definitely on like the higher end of the spectrum for us, um, especially, you know, Ben is someone that struggles from the free throw line. But yeah, it's, um, it was all, like I said, it was a pretty complete performance. It, it's not one that like you're going to think about like fondly, you know, at the end of the season, but that's okay because there's 82 games. You know, you're not, you're not going to remember exactly. every single one of them. You're not going to remember every single win and hold it dear to your heart. Uh, you just got to beat the teams that that you should be taking care of. That's that's the key to any regular season uh, for any sport, really. Yeah, and you look at last night's game too. Uh, early on, not the greatest start for this team. I had tweeted fifteen uh, four. Like you, know, <laughs> you know, I was it, Black Friday when this game's going on, and I said, I wonder if there's any Black Friday deals at Madison Square Garden so the Sixers can go, you know, go buy a bucket because early on they could not find any type of you know just run to go on and after the first quarter it was 31 18 in favor of the Knicks uh but then the Sixers kind of got them right back in the third quarter and uh gave them their own 31 to 17 so kind of even things out and then the Sixers end up winning in the fourth quarter uh and win this game 101 to 95 just a weird start for this team and I know the one video that's kind of circulating around is Howell Neto bringing the ball up from the backcourt and Joel Embiid kind of just 
walking, and Neto has to make his way around Embiid to continue bringing the ball up, and people are just like, all right, what the hell is wrong with Embiid? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a back-to-back, number one. Um, again, Embiid is going to be on like this just absolutely extreme microscope with anything regarding his his work ethic and he's not he's not jogging up the court right. yeah i mean of course it, like it doesn't look great but ultimately not that big of a deal i don't know it, to, to me that's not something that uh that makes me feel anything really <laughs> like it's just to me it's it's a little bit of a not a big deal and i, I think the the thing with last night too is you're missing two starters again richardson and horford out um it's the knicks so you know kyle quinn also out so your essential de facto backup center you would have is out you yeah. bring up norvell pell which honestly i was quite intrigued by the defense i saw from pell uh did kind of get a little posterized by julius randall that some knicks fans thought was joel Embiid that he was dunking on major l um but, I mean, overall, for Norvell Pell and kind of his first real full-blown NBA action, I was impressed by what I saw. Yeah, yeah he looked uh, kind of what we've seen from him, you know, in Summer League and in, in other games where he's very just kind of smooth operator. Um, yeah, and, I mean, you know, that that's the thing that we're talking about now, too, is calling up some some blue coats onto the roster, which is nice, getting a look at some of these, these younger guys that are on the fringes, um, and, and they're going to have, hopefully, the opportunity to get some, like, you know, real good NBA minutes. Yeah, you know, it's, again, it's, it's, this game is, I think, a little similar to the Kings in that, yeah, the first half, obviously not great. I think Brett really lays in everyone at halftime because I think uh, it was a focus issue more than anything and, and just mental strength. Um, and you see that second half just absolute walloping, and that's what you should be doing to a team like the Knicks. You know, you're missing, again, it's like you're missing two starters. You know, like, what do you want? Like, either you had some off just shooting nights, um, and two guys who were playing consistent minutes have overs, Matisse yeah. and Mike Scott, both with 22 minutes, 21 for Matisse, and zero points. So for them to be able to overcome another bad shooting night, too, and Embiid with a, a season-high 17 rebounds, 27 points, uh, and then we saw a key bench player take over, and it was James Ennis. Yeah, and, you know, it you're going to have games in the, in the season where you're, you're missing starters and you kind of have to just limp through the game. And, you know, we, I think we have to keep the con- context that, you know, we had, it was a back-to-back, so we have a game tonight against the Pacers. Um, and, you know, Embiid might be taking some plays off because he's conserving energy. Like, you know, like, you just have to keep that in the back of your mind that these guys aren't necessarily focused on laying it all on the floor on a Friday night against the Knicks um, in November. <laughs> you know, like, it's just... I don't know. It's just a, a different league than I think some people realize. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's another, I wouldn't call it a good win just because I think it, you should be putting a team like that away a little more handedly. It shouldn't take, you know, Brett Lang and everyone at halftime to get get everyone focused and, and ready to beat this team. Um, and that has been a symptom of, of the Sixers in years past is playing down to, to opponents. You know, we've had issues with beating, you know, bottom-end teams, which, again, we've sort of fixed so far this season, which is which is a positive. Um, you know, again, you add another win on and keep it rolling, you know, hopefully against Indiana tonight. But, yeah, the Knicks, one of the worst teams in the league. And, um, you know, even without two starters, I still felt pretty confident. Yeah, and, you know, a depleted bench, too, and you're able to overcome that. So that's what you want to see. Like we said with the Kings, you want to beat this inferior talent. They did just that. And uh, a two-game winning streak going into this game against the Pacers tonight. TJ's return to Wells Fargo Center. 
Uh, might be the loudest ovation we get from any former process sixer that has left town. I think so. Yeah, people really love TJ. Um, and rights, like rightfully so. He's definitely one of the faces of the process, and I think he's kind of a, a likable. He's definitely a likable like Philly athlete because he's all you know grit and scrappiness and all that. All the other white guy adjectives you can throw at him. That's TJ. So yeah, I think I think he'll get a really really good reception, and I mean he deserves it. You know, like I know TJ wasn't the greatest. I know that he was frustrating at times, but you know also with all of that came the fact that we were able to during the the darkest days fine so you know he is a good talent like he's not anything special of course but you know he's he's a a usable backup guard in this league and obviously the fit with us wasn't great just because he can't shoot we already have a point guard who can't shoot doesn't really do us much good to have uh you know kind of a, a much less athletic shorter ben simmons on the bench um but yeah he, he'll definitely get a good reception tonight and obviously jakar sampson also coming back with this team and uh, every other holiday brother other than Drew uh, on this Pacers team, but they're 12 and six. I think this is going to be a, a pretty nice test for this team too, especially in a back-to-back situation. Where me personally, I wouldn't be shocked if Embiid doesn't play in this game, um, especially since Horford got Thanksgiving off and rested last night. I would expect a lot of play for Horford, um, but I think this this Pacers matchup is going to be very interesting because they have some dynamic shooters. Obviously, Malcolm Brogdon is a player who kind of has given us fits over the years. And uh, this matchup I'm very intrigued by, probably more so than I was with the Heat. Yeah, I mean, the the Pacers we've had pretty good times with, though, and, and a lot of that has been because Embiid plays. Um, so it is going to be interesting if we see him tonight. My, my gut says no, just I think this is kind of uh, the ideal time to rest him. He hasn't had a, a rest day in about a week now, maybe even longer. Um so I wouldn't be surprised to see him out. And he normally does get the best of Miles Turner, even though uh, uh, Indiana is an interesting team because they're kind of the classic, like some of the parts is is greater than the whole. Like they don't really have an elite outstanding talent, but they do have kind of these collections of very good, they're, they're very good defensive team, uh, someone that's always going to be able to keep uh, games close. But, you know, I, I think uh, I think ultimately should be winning. I, if Embiid's out, it, that, that does change things, of course, but... I still think even if you have Horford, that's going to give you a, a good chance. But, yeah, I mean, again, you're talking about the East, and everyone's kind of separated for the most part by, you know, these two or three wins. And uh, it may not think too much of it now, but, you know, come, you know, March and April, you, you, you do, you might look back at some of these games against some of, like, the, the top teams in the East and think, yeah, you know, we should have done a little better uh, way back in November and, and get some of those wins under our belt just to give you that seeding advantage. But, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. And you definitely want to try to get a win against this Pacers team without their best player because Old Depot's still not back, and they're kind of just relying on, you know, the play of Sabonis and Brogdon who have been carrying them points-wise along with guys like Jeremy Lamb, TJ Warren, you know, two guys that I know a lot of Sixers fans, you know, during buyout season have, have harped for. But you want to be able to, like you said, get these wins – when you can and I think to take advantage of a team that doesn't have their best player available I think that's a an opportunity where this Sixers team can thrive it's interesting too because Oladipo's been out now for almost a year you know and with this kind of nebulous injury that um you know I I still don't know the exact timetable on when he's supposed to return I think it's December or January but yeah, it's it's interesting because it's they've had to live quite some time now without Oladipo's help, and I know there was a lot of concern last year when he went down about 
you know, them fading. And they did have a rough sort of last third of the season, but I, they're, they're an interesting team again, because I think they are well coached. And again, I, I do think they have a lot of good pieces, but I think if, if you're talking just straight up head to head matchup, just because they don't have that top, top level talent. Um, again, even if you don't have Embiid tonight, I would still give us the edge talent wise. Um, I, I think you, you should be beating a team like Indiana. But it's, I think it's always a, a pretty interesting matchup between the two of us just because it, it does have the ability to turn into a, like a defensive uh, slugfest, which is uh, exciting. Definitely. And uh, the Sixers were not the only team last night playing the Knicks. Uh, the Bluecoats were, so a little Bluecoats check-in. Obviously, Norbel Bell and Mariel Shayok and Zaire are all with the Sixers right now. Uh, so last night we saw you know Jonah Bolden play. Again, for this Bluecoats team, 12 points, and uh, your your leading scorer was Xavier Munford, who's a guy that I've gotten to watch a few times being down in Delaware. We'll be back down there soon. Um, but he's an interesting player to me. If this team you know, is looking to find shooters potentially on the cheap and don't really have a, a way to trade for them or get them through the buyout, I think Xavier Munford's an interesting play where they could call him up and you know just be one of those guys that can come in off the bench and give you kind of those catch and shoot points. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you, you mentioned as well, Mayor Shayek getting a, a call up. That's someone that we've highlighted and talked about his scoring ability. So, Sixers do have some guys in the pipeline that that could be interesting, and you know, these little gems that you have through your organization, which again is is always a huge, huge bonus because they are kind of the archetypes of players that we need right now. You know, we do need someone that can kind of take over and score and be the microwave off the bench. So. If we are able to unearth some guys just you know through through Delaware, that'd be great, and that's that's why you take some some guesses and some dart throws in the second round um, to to be able to get these guys on you know cheaper contracts, which obviously helps a team like the Sixers who are going to be paying a lot of money. Um, but yeah, you know, hopefully, I always hope that that guys like that can can make a breakthrough because it's really good for everyone it's good for them because you love seeing their story and and then you know uh working their way kind of up the ladder and it obviously helps the team as well when you have someone that talented that can kind of come off and and do a job for you exactly and you know also last night shake milton was down with delaware 19 minutes scored 18 points so averaging almost a point a minute which is good to see from shake and just give him some playing time as well how are we feeling on shake right now because obviously he's had a, a few struggles and hasn't really been able to crack a lot of playing time, especially with the emergence of a guy like Furkan Korkmaz coming off the bench and being able to you know, provide points the way he has. And obviously you have guys like Mike Scott and James Ennis who are going to be able to shoot as well. What is your kind of feel on, on Shake right now as we head into December? Uh, <laughs> I wasn't very high on Shake to begin with. And especially, you know, in the summer when it came out, they wanted him to be like the second or third guard on this team. I was like, I don't know how that's going to happen because he had barely played NBA minutes up to that point. And even still, in the time that we've seen him, it's been really inconsistent, which isn't totally surprising given his age and experience level. He's almost worked better off the ball than, you know, someone that's going to be handling it, which... You know, could work because you have someone like Howell Neto on the second unit if you pair them together, but then you're giving up a little bit of that edge defensively. You know, you add Matisse in that mix. Like, it's he's kind of just a, a strange fit because he's not really quite a good enough off the ball shooter and player to really like warrant more minutes. Um, and he doesn't really give you that defensive edge, uh, really at this point in his career. So he is in a, a strange spot because he's 
and and you do find players like this sometimes that maybe are, are too good for the G League but not quite good enough to crack that certain teams you know like rotation um, at least regularly so yeah Shake is in a, a strange position um, I guess we're gonna he's gonna have to kind of compete for his spot right now you know, again you have Shaq coming up you have I know they don't play the same position but you have Pell coming up like you have these guys that are, are working their way and progressing and Shake is gonna have to do a little bit of that himself I think the good thing for him, though, is that the organization seems to have a lot of confidence in him. They, they you know, obviously gave him an extension and, and clearly showed some faith in him over the summer. Um, so I don't know if this is just kind of uh, you know, sending a pitcher down just to get him more reps type of deal here, um, knowing that he's not going to get much time with, with you know, the, the top 10 players on this team. Um, but I think that also says a little bit about how they actually value Shake at this moment that he is being sent down when there's all the, you know, if, if he was a stock, he would be falling, you know, like he's, he's kind of not in a, in a great position right now. And again, hopefully he's able to kind of improve and he's young still too. I don't want to get, you know, super negative on any of these guys on any of our players really, but especially the young guys that are still growing and developing. Uh, so hopefully he, he finds a way, but to be very honest, I haven't been impressed by Shake at all, and I don't I don't know what's really there. And uh, you kind of just have to put your hands underneath your knees and hope that something changes and improves. How are we feeling overall on this Sixers team? As we're pretty much a, a full month into this season now, they're thirteen and six. Uh, obviously, the running joke is they're thirteen and zero. Um, but you know, through nineteen games, almost a, a quarter of the season, they're they're seven games above five hundred. Good. I mean, the pace that we're on is the pace that I think we all expected us to be. You know, we're on like a 54 to 57 win pace, which I think we all kind of agreed on uh, that that was going to be right around where this team was. That's where a lot of the odds books had us at. Um, yeah, it's kind of been as advertised from the Sixers. I think we knew defensively this team was going to be pretty strong, and we've seen uh, quite a bit of that so far this season. Still some improvement, I think, but you know, we've also, again, kind of had to deal with some injuries and some load management stuff and some rest. So in the moments that we've seen the starting five together, that we should be, you know, all willing, hopefully everyone's injury free, we should be seeing in the playoffs. Uh, it's been really good and has been one of the best starting fives in the league, you know, by just about every metric. And that's a really good place to find yourself in. Um, yeah, you know, obviously a lot of the things that we're worried about are still there definitely still lacking you know some of that ball handling and shot creation that we'd like offense still does look at times just a little janky and a little clunky and, and slow to start or some some nights again you know you have really bad shooting nights but I think it says a lot as well that you can go like seven for 29 and still win games so so kind of find a way um, and that's kind of what we expected from the Sixers that yes the offense wasn't going to be pretty but this team can make stops when it counts and they're going to be there's such a hard team to match up with for, for pretty much everyone in the league that they're always going to be competitive. They're always going to be in games. They're always going to have a chance. And we have the talent. Um, so, yeah, sitting, sitting where we are, 13-6, I think is a, a good spot. And if anything, you know, like a lot of those losses is, have been close losses. It's not like we've been getting uh, – really haven't gotten, like, wiped out of a game uh, so far this year. And even when we've been down, we've clawed back. I know the Knicks last night, but, you know, the, I can remember those Hawks games, those Trailblazers games we were really out of and were able to, to dig back in and even get wins out of. So, yeah, that's that's impressive. We're definitely seeing – Definitely seeing some maturity from this team, I think, a little more than we've seen and a little bit more, like, mental resilience. And part of that, I think, is just everyone growing up and Brett probably improving and also bringing in someone like Horford probably helps that. Um, 
yeah, Horford and Richardson have been really good so far. Yeah, everything about this team has been good. I know that there's always going to be negativity. Um, if we lose to the Pacers tonight, I'm sure we'll read some more columns about who should be getting traded and what. But I think this team is good. And, you know, you'd expect that you're only going to improve over the course of the year and that you could, you know, hopefully with some luck from some other rosters, maybe add, add an addition, you know, through through waivers. Um, or if, you know, some of these G League guys are able to come up and make an impact, that's obviously going to help. I think the Sixers are in a great spot. And, yes, the East is tight right now, but I, I trust this team fully to, to really continue this kind of stretch. Again, you know, we're almost 20 games into the season. I feel like we have a big enough sample size to say, yeah, like, this team's very good. <laughs> 20 games in, and it feels like it's been 60. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sixers again tonight play against the Pacers. TJ's return. Make sure you're following us on Twitter for all of the updates. Let's talk about another team whose offense has been very inconsistent, man. That's the Eagles. But the extensions continue to roll out Wednesday night. We talked about how they extended Jake Elliott just yesterday. A Black Friday deal was struck. The Eagles signed Lane Johnson to a four-year, $72 million extension. That includes five million guaranteed. It's the largest contract for an NFL offensive lineman in history on a per-year and guaranteed basis. Essentially, Lane Johnson is going to be an eagle for life. Yeah, just tell him to stay away from those... uh... Stay away from GNC. (laughs) Yeah, stay away from the the needles and such. Um, Can't say that he doesn't deserve it. He's, He's elite and... Yeah, it's it's not quite like the uh, the Elliott sign where it's like, eh, nothing nothing doing it for me. Yeah, locking him up is good and important, especially since he's going to be someone that's going to be uh, a foundation of the team moving forward. You want to you want to keep those guys around and keep them paid. Uh, it's very very important to the kind of uh, future of the Eagles team. When this contract is up, Lane Johnson will be 35, and the Eagles have pretty much locked up the entire right side of the offensive line now for the rest of their careers. Lane right now is 29. He'll turn 30 in May. And then obviously you have Andre Dillard, who you fully expect to take over at left tackle once Jason Peters uh, eventually retires, which we all think will be after this year. And then your really only question mark on this offensive line is Isaac Sayamalo. Is he your long-term left guard? And then how much longer do you have of Jason Kelsey? Obviously we've had the retirement rumors for him for the past couple seasons now. But I think if Jason Kelsey sticks around, you have Dillard move out, and Sayamalo being your your weakest link, quote-unquote, this offensive line is going to be really good in front of Carson Wentz as long as they're healthy. And that's fully what you need, and that's kind of what Howie Roseman's philosophy is, built through the trenches, and they're building one of the best offensive lines in the league, you know, for years to come. Yeah, I mean, you've seen it through... Most of like the the great teams that we've had, or at least the very good teams that we've had over the past few years, and really for a longer time than that, it is usually one of the lines that is very good. And a lot of times, if you're going to have that strong offensive line, what that does for your offense overall, which is a struggling offense right now, uh, opens up holes, obviously, for running backs and gives your quarterback more time to find receivers, which, yeah, Wentz has had some issues this year with that, and I think... One of the only problems, I think, with building through the offensive line is something that you can't account for, which is injuries, um, just because those guys are, are so much more prone to it because they're just constantly getting abused and beaten up. Uh, so you could, you know, unfortunately be ending up, you know, paying $40 million to guys that are, are out for the season. Um, but, yeah, it is it is always a dice roll. But you can't control really something like that. It's just a uh, nature of the game. But it is important that you, you keep those foundations strong and, 
like I said, you know, I'm very curious to see the draft this year, which direction that goes, because obviously we know the wide receiver position is in dire, dire need, but you, know, you need to do how he has to have like eight different minds on improving this team going forward. And there's not just uh, there's not just one position uh, besides wide receiver that you really can't like uh, that you have to prioritize over everyone else. Like I think outside of wide receiver, that's clearly priority one. But you know you could use secondary help. You could obviously use help on the offensive line. I think even defensive line, you're gonna have some guys retiring in the next few years, or at least uh, not being as good as they are now. Yeah, it's it's a big task going forward with the Eagles. And uh, before we dive into the game, some other news has come out this week, obviously. And we kind of saw some early struggles from Bryce Harper this season. And it came out that Kayla Harper was pregnant. We're seeing that now with Carson Wentz. His wife and Carson have announced that they are having a baby. So congratulations to the Wentz family. But could this be something that has weighed on him kind of mentally and why he hasn't full blown been there? No, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't buy that personally. Um, yeah, it's obviously it can be a hectic time in your life. I'm sure you know when you know that you know you're either trying for a baby or that you're, you're kind of waiting to announce it to everyone. But um, I think professional athletes are very good at putting that to the side. Uh, they they all have things going on in their lives, and uh, obviously they're people too. But you know, I, I think they're good at when game day comes around of putting that out but I don't even think Carson Wentz has really struggled that much this year I think some of that's a little overblown we've seen you know bad performances uh you know quarter by quarter from him but I think overall it's been uh it's been like an average season you know from from Carson it's been nothing really special but I don't I don't think he's been as bad as some people on Twitter it might uh might make you believe I completely agree and the other uh story that kind of came out this morning was Former Eagles, uh, you know, head honcho, uh, President Joe Banner, in a Q&A with the Inquirer, says he doesn't think that Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson will be back with the team next year. In a Q&A with Paul Domowicz from the Inquirer, uh, Domowicz says Deshaun Jackson turns 33 on Sunday. He started and finished one game this season. Alshon Jeffrey, who turns 30 in February, has missed three games and counting with injuries. Uh, and is having the worst season of his career. Will either of them be back next year? Banner goes on to say, My inclination is to think they're both gone. I think they're going to be afraid to trust either one of them, and they're going to be afraid to be back in the same situation with them next year. Domowicz says, Getting rid of them, though, is going to involve a pretty substantial salary cap hit. They just restructured Alshon's deal in September, which guarantees his entire 2020 salary. Won't that affect how he's willingness to show both of them the door? Banner says, they're definitely going to have to eat some cap dollars, but we saw the Steelers eat $21 million in cap money this year when they realized they were better off without a player. Talking about Antonio Brown. I don't know if I fully believe that these guys will be gone, especially Deshaun Jackson, uh, especially the way they kind of you know gave him his contract and you know worked some things around. If one of the two are back, it's Deshaun in my book, but uh, I think both of them are going to be back solely based on how Alshon's contract is fully guaranteed next year. Why are you going to pay a guy to not play for you when you can just pay him to play for you? Yeah, I mean, the problem with Alshon is not to do a Phillies analogy again, but it works so well with the Eagles this season. He's kind of like a Jake Arrieta where yep. there's still like some value there. I know we love 
we all love taking a shot at Jake because it's, it's fun and he kind of <laughs> kind of deserves it sometimes. Um, but at the same time, Jake still does have some value. It's just he's a he's a third or fourth option, probably more of a fourth option now at this stage in his career. And I think Alshon's the same way. The problem is that Alshon's, you know, when Deshaun wasn't healthy, it was being dependent on his, not even just a number one guy. Like you were expecting him to be like a number one wide receiver in the league type. You're expecting him to be, you know, DeAndre Hopkins, Michael Thomas, like type of level. And he's just not at that level anymore. And I don't think he was ever really quite that good at his peak. He was certainly a you know, top 10, top 15 wide receiver. But a lot of people forget at his peak, he had another top 10 wide receiver opposite of him yeah. that people were double covering so then Alshon was able to have you know those 1400 receiving yards and you know 15 touchdowns in a season he's never had that here yeah and uh so it's you're just kind of overvaluing what he can do at this stage of his career I think he can still provide value um so yeah it wouldn't really make any sense at all to be paying him just to not be on this team because it's not you know the Antonio Brown situation is different in that he was a I don't know. Apparently, yeah, not case. a very good, very not, <laughs> very not good person, and not good for the locker room. Uh, whereas Alshon doesn't seem to have uh, any of those issues. Seems to get along well and, and happy here. And yeah, I think it'd be good to have him on the team. But the, the issue is that he he just can't be your number one by a, a margin uh, next year. And Deshaun, you'd love to have him back, but he played one game this year and has been health, unhealthy as this. What's probably a hernia issue, um, and at his age too, it's not as if you expect that to him be able to recover like 100% after that. Um, so yeah, the Deshaun signing has honestly been like a, just an abject failure. Like, just has been spectacularly bad. Um, and I I wouldn't be shocked if he wasn't here next year. He, he would probably look for more years than anything just to to kind of prolong his his NFL career than you know taking another like one year deal something like that but hey the Buffalo Bills helped the Eagles out on Thanksgiving and they go on this run Deshaun might be back for the playoffs not holding my breath though but the Eagles did make some roster moves today uh they promoted tight end Josh Perkins from the practice squad uh to the active roster and they activated long time coming Craven LeBlanc from the injured reserve list, and they've waived defensive tackle Albert Huggins. Uh, I think Craven coming back is huge for this team, especially depth-wise at that you know slot corner and the nickel corner. Uh, he brings kind of that swagger and physicality to his game. Shout out to Mama LeBlanc; she follows the podcast on Twitter, and uh, you know this honestly, I think, kind of puts a, a nail in the coffin that we will not see Sidney Jones the rest of the season. Yeah, um, and that's, again, an, another injury that's kind of just lingered. You have a lot of these with the, the Eagles team where guys get hurt and you know, all of a sudden they're out for three months when you thought it was just kind of a day-to-day issue. But, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting move for the Eagles. Craven's been out since training camp, so for him to get back now for this stretch run I think is huge. Uh, but one unfortunate injury, bit of news here is that Jordan Howard still has that shoulder stinger and he's been ruled out for Sunday's game against the Dolphins. So, Jay revenge game, sign me up. Yeah, you. I mean, he's, he's pretty removed from the Dolphins now, though. Um, honestly, I don't think you need a Jordan Howard to beat the, the Dolphins. This is very much a Sixers against the Knicks. You can afford to rest someone this game uh, just because the Dolphins are bad with a capital B-A-D. I do think my bigger concern, though, from you know those roster moves they made today is promoting Josh Perkins to the active roster. 
kind of gives me a little bit of you know nervousness about Zach Ertz's availability tomorrow. So could be a big Dallas Goddard game in the past game because if you don't have Ertz, Josh Perkins really hasn't been up with the active roster at all this season. They've really only rolled with two tight ends. Uh, Zach Ertz being out for any amount of time stinks, especially with the state of this offense currently. So you hope Ertz can play, and you just hope this is kind of a precautionary move, but doesn't look good in my book if they're bringing up a tight end the day before a game uh, when Zach Ertz has that hamstring issue. Yeah, and again, Zach is another player that you'd like to see out just because you, you do have this is a must win game. Uh, got a little lucky. Uh, not really lucky. I just got a favor, like you said, from from the Bills on Thanksgiving. So you need to take advantage of that because for the, the Eagles to make the playoffs, you have to win out at this stage of the season. So, yes, it's the Dolphins. They've been atrocious. But, I mean, you know, ask the Cowboys, you know, going into halftime of that game against the Dolphins. It was, it was a very close affair. And if it wasn't for some really, really poor execution by Miami, it could have been a different game. But, yeah, this is this is a team. There it is. <laughs> The old mic drop. Um, you know, this is a team that you have to beat regardless. And, and yes, they're obviously not good at all, but Eagles have struggled against some bad teams this year already, and it's not like the Eagles are putting teams away and, and not leaving the door open for them. So, yeah, you'd like to have everyone available, but at this stage of the season, you, you're kind of have to get a make do with, with missing some of your, your stars. Yeah, and this Miami team, they're they're two and nine, but they're scrappy. And you know, we, two of those wins have come in the last few weeks too. Yeah. So, you know, they started out really poor, but they've they've turned it around. It's kind of a yeah, they have that kind of underdog mentality for sure. Something the Eagles, of course, will be familiar with, um, and certainly a team that I think is going to be hungry and happy to ruin another team season. You know, you see it a lot with these teams that are completely out of the picture that but you get it every year where they they go even on last games of the season and they go and just play for pride and to ruin someone else's year and you know dolphins could absolutely do that yeah and this is a dolphins team that nearly beat the redskins if you know they weren't full-blown tanking because that throw obviously was uh not meant to be caught from ryan fitzpatrick but then they gave the steelers fits for about a half on uh monday night football they beat the jets which i mean that was when the Jets were kind of at an all-time low. And then they beat the Colts in back-to-back weeks. So they were in Indianapolis, too. Yeah, which I think is huge. And they held them to 12 points. So they strung back-to-back wins together. This is a team that can win. They're coming off a big blowout loss to the Browns, who are not a good team. And you just can't let this team hang around. you got to be able to you know, keep your foot on the gas pedal and just score at will and uh, just really put them to bed early so that they don't hang around late in the game where you're kind of, you know, looking for that last second touchdown or field goal to give you that kind of comfortable lead. You want that comfortable lead from start to finish. And we talked about this on Eagles Enemies that dropped today uh, in your podcast feeds with ESPN's Cameron Wolf. He said this is a team that will hang around if you let them. They have guys that can catch the ball in Devontae Parker and Mike Giusecki who have been, you know, kind of flourishing of late with Ryan Fitzpatrick being in control of the offense. So, Put them down early, and you'll be able to win this game comfortably, come back home, not get on a plane anymore the rest of the season, and really go through this gauntlet of uh, you know divisional games. Yeah, and uh, again, this is it, it could feel like a trap game as well, just because you look at the Dolphins and kind of roll your eyes, not that, you know, right between the Seahawks and then this kind of final stretch of a very important, you know, last three weeks of the season. 
yeah, this is this is again. It's it's a, every game is a playoff game from here on out, which could be beneficial to the Eagles. You see some teams that have to kind of play with their backs against the walls, make it into the the playoffs, and can uh, can be a little surprising if you're coming in hot and coming in when you've had to win, you know, every week for the past three or four. So it's in their hands technically still uh to do this um it's just about how much faith and confidence you have in them to do it i have a lot of faith that they can beat the dolphins but from there i mean it's it's just it's a it's a big ask it really is and you're gonna have to probably get some help because i don't i don't know that they're gonna win out and yeah you have the divisional games and obviously every team you play from here on out outside of the cowboys each team only has two wins and that's washington the giants uh twice and then the cowboys game in there the weird thing is Knock on wood, you want the Eagles to win this game against Miami, but if they so happen to lose this game, which I think the world would just implode uh, if they do, the Eagles can still win the division if they win out from you know the Giants to the end of the season. Uh, they'd be 1-1 one one against the Cowboys. They'd have the same divisional record, but shout-out to the Jets. The Eagles would win on common opponents because the Eagles beat the Jets and the Jets beat the Cowboys, so the Eagles would still win the division and get into the playoffs. But you obviously want to run the table and uh, you know go into the uh, a tough playoff schedule too. If you do end up getting there on a five game winning streak, yeah, and uh, get that momentum rolling. But we'll see. I mean, we're gonna find out a little bit of what this team is made of. I think uh, over this next month, and it's it's December, you know, and anything can happen, of course. But. Uh, hopefully an early Christmas present in the form of uh, beating the Dolphins. Hey, if they end up winning these five games in a row, they'd have a one more five-game winning streak than the 2019 Philadelphia Phillies did, Matt. And uh, that is depressing. But what's not depressing is Ken Rosenthal from The Athletic uh, on MLB Networks. MLB Now predicted that the Phillies will be landing Garrett Cole. So our buddy Johnny Heller from Phillies Nation put this article out, pieced it together, and said, uh, on MLB Now, Rosenthal addressed the notion that Garrett Cole would ultimately end up in Los Angeles saying, quote, the reason I'm predicting Cole to the Phillies is to make a larger point that the assumption that Garrett Cole will go to a West Coast team is just an assumption. He's going to go to the team that offers him the most money, and the Phillies last year offered Bryce Harper the most money. They spread it out over 13 years, and that's how they got Bryce Harper. Like Harper, Cole is a Scott Boris client and is reportedly seeking a contract north of $300 million, which would shatter the record for the biggest contract given to a starting pitcher. The Phillies would likely have to go over the luxury tax for Garrett Cole with roughly $42 million in uh, you know, room and plenty of other holes to fill, but he is the kind of player worth entering the tax for. And owner John Middleton said that they would have no problem entering the tax as long as it was to make the team a World Series contender. It's a lot of money, not my money, of course, but it does. I know that we always say it's not our money, but the reason fans worry about this is because it, it can inhibit what else you can do. And with a Phillies team that is still a little incomplete, um, you know, I, I do wonder if they're willing to go not only that deep in the luxury tax, but then continue to pile on because you're going to have to make other signings. I wonder what kind of trade moves you can make. There's not a lot of money coming off the books, uh, at least this season as well, that's going to give you some of that relief. Now, next year, you will get some help, which, you know, again, if they played even right, could get you out of the tax for that that, that season, potentially, but who, who really knows? Because um, you're also going to have some potential extensions coming up, hopefully JT Riamuto getting some big money. Um, 
so yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting what the the Phillies do, and kind of I I think we are gonna find out the actual willingness and belief that this organization has in this team and in someone like Garrett Cole and whoever else they're able to sign. Because here's the thing too, if you do go over the luxury tax this year, you're paying I believe it would be around like ten million, fifteen million dollars in the tax, and then a bunch of you know big contract guys come off the books. Jake Arrieta, most notably, $20 million this year. He's gone, so his contract is done. Jay Bruce would come off the books with his $14 million that he's making. Uh, David Robertson, another big one, $12 million, would come right off the books. So you would be able to essentially just pay the tax for one year and then reset yourself into 2021 where there are even more bigger free agents that you could go after and help you know boost this team because this is the scenario the Phillies are in right now. They're going to have to win by buying their team because of how they kind of just drafted and you know player development went throughout the rebuild. That's how they have to attack this thing. And you know I would not mind going over the tax for one year if it meant bringing in Garrett Cole to kind of be the forefront of this pitching rotation. Yeah, and uh, I I'm happy to have John Milton burn his money. <laughs> Light it up with a cigar lighter and let's get this thing done because. You know, we're, we're going to talk about Garrett Cole like we did Bryce Harper last year because he is that number one free agent. We had, you know, the stupid money comments last year. We're having sick money comments this year. And we're seeing free agents kind of sign at an earlier pace this year. We saw Yasmani Grandal, who was a big free agent on the market, already get signed. We're seeing it happen more often now where guys are signing now and it's not even December, which I think is a good sign for the free agent market and you know just the way that it's going to flow this winter so i think the phillies being tied to garrett cole for as long as possible is a big you know bonus for them because they do have the most money to give out this is a team that has that you know huge comcast contract for the tv deal they have all the revenue they brought in just from the bryce harper you know merchandise sales they have money to blow and if they can keep their name tied to garrett cole for as long as possible and the relationship that they have with scott boris I think it's nothing but a benefit for this team to just stay in the hunt for Garrett Cole for as long as possible. You know, I think, too, you've... I don't know if you'd necessarily call them overpays, but you've definitely seen big money being thrown this offseason already, not even for, like, the top guys. You're seeing kind of mid-level mid-level players getting pretty pretty decent change, so it says quite a bit. I think it says quite a bit, too, that you've seen contracts over the past few years in baseball kind of start to get a little more inflated, which maybe is more true to value what these guys are actually bringing so yeah, you you're going to be paying big money. Um, you know the, the only issue with Garrett Cole is it's not like you plug Garrett Cole in this team and all of a sudden everything's fixed. You you, you need more. Um, you know we've said constantly you're going to need to bring in at least three pitchers. If you bring Garrett Cole in, then maybe you can kind of only get one or two other guys and then maybe see throughout the season with with trades or um, maybe someone at the deadline through waivers stuff like that. But um, I don't know. I, I think this team still has so much work to do and. It's, Garrett Cole alone is not going to get it done. But I do think that some of the silence from the Phillies could be pointing that way because I, I don't think that you'd be kind of waiting out if you weren't pretty in on one of these big guys. We even saw this last year where you know it was only one or two moves and then all of a sudden you're in the race for, for Manny and, and Bryce both. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's sort of the, the same deal this offseason where, yeah, we're – very in on Gary, and we do have the good connections with Boris. That's definitely uh, something that could be helpful. 
Um, but ultimately, we know what it's going to take, and it's going to take a lot of money. It was the same thing last year. You heard mm-hmm. about Bryce. It, again, all the smoke was about him wanting the biggest contract and, and out beating Stanton and then outpaying whoever. Um, so yeah, let's uh, let's see because I think Garrett Cole is going to have a very similar type of headline uh, when he gets signed. Our buddy John Stolness from uh, SB Nation's Phillies blog, The Good Fight, quote tweeted uh, a little graphic that was a little fun here. So uh, I'll give you two options here, Matt, and you tell me which ones you prefer uh, more. So option A. This is you have uh, sixty million dollars to spend. Mike Mustakis at ten million dollars, Didi Gregorius at fifteen million, Zach Wheeler at twenty million, and then Dylan Betances, Dakota Hudson, and Wade Miley all for five million dollars. Or option B, you get Garrett Cole for thirty million dollars, Cole Hamels at fifteen million, Mustakis at ten, and Hudson at five. Which one would you prefer? I would choose the second option with. Uh... With Garrett Cole, Hamels, Mustafa, I think that is higher end talent. You're sort of getting you're getting like a more rounded roster with option A, which is there's nothing wrong with. But I think with this personally, what I think this team needs is like top level talent. Um, we kind of already have enough of these like you know good to pretty good type of players. We don't you know we have like a a decent like collection of like great players. You have guys like Bryce and JT. You have Aaron Nola, of course. Reese, if he's able to kind of get back to his, you know, 2017 self, you, you could have a player like that. Um, so, yeah, you know, you already have some guys you can believe can be like top level talent. I mean, I think you have enough of these kind of middling guys. You know, you had someone like Garrett Cole to this rotation. That's amazing because um, that takes a little bit of that relief, uh, you know, for Nola. And then you add Hamels to the mix, a, a sort of a better leadership than you're going to get from Jake and, and veteran and obviously well-loved here. And there you go. That's your starting four right there is looking so much better already than any work you're able to do during the season. Obviously, Mustakis is a, a good fit, someone that's sort of been linked here the past few seasons, going to help you with that infield and infield defense, which is important. Um, yeah, I think that's the option I would go for. Now, uh, MLB.com. Uh, put out a kind of you know Black Friday deals article, and this one kind of cracked me up a bit. Uh, this would be Francisco Lindor being traded to the Phillies. Phillies get Lindor, and the Indians get Gene Segura, which don't know how that works because Segura's contract, plus he has a full no-trade clause, uh, and the Indians would also get our boy Alec Bohm. Why the Phillies would do it? The appeal of adding a player like Lindor pretty much goes without saying. The Phillies would obtain a player under team control through 2021 who would give them a strong chance to compete in a tough NL East. They could also try to keep Segura and move him to second or third base, but including him in the trade might make it a more attractive deal for Cleveland. Red flag number one. We've seen the Phillies spend big in the past few off-seasons, so it isn't unrealistic to think they might be able to work out an extension with Lindor to keep him there beyond 2021 or at least be in a position to re-sign him when that time comes, something that feels less and less likely in Cleveland. Uh, The who says no part of this is absurd. the, The writer goes on to say, Likely the Phillies. There's an argument to be made that over the next two years, Segura could be almost as productive as Lindor on a deal that keeps him under team control for two more years after that, Philadelphia's farm system has struggled a bit lately, but Bohm had a strong 2019, and the club would likely want to hang on to him and see what 
could be next for the young slugger. If the Indians offered that, in my opinion, the Phillies are saying, absolutely, yes, let's get this thing done. Obviously, it would kill us to lose Alec Bohm, but you're in that situation, you're more than likely going and signing a Mike Moustakis type or a Josh Donaldson, but that article is absolutely hilarious to me because there's no way that the Indians are taking on Gene Segura's contract, especially when they aren't willing to pay Francisco Lindor. Uh do better, MLP.com. Yeah, you're going to be paying someone more money to do less of a job. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Do they even need someone like Alec Bohm either? Like, I'm not sure if they're like... Uh, yeah, they have Jose Ramirez yeah. playing third base, who is a perennial all-star, you know... Not really gold great. glove candidate. He's, and I think Bohm can really only play... Like, he's not someone that If that's, he goes there, he's going to end up being their DH. Yeah. Which, I mean, would fit well for him, because everything that we, we know about Bohm as far as obviously hitting is great. The defensive part of his game is maybe a little suspect still, but um, I'd yeah, rather him be here. It would ki- it would kill me to see Bohm gone, but yeah, I mean, if it's for someone like Linda, that's the thing is like if you're gonna trade, you know, these like high level prospects, it needs like, to be for a blue chip player. Yes, and you know, with the JT trade, right? Like obviously giving up six toe, not great, right? Like we, we want to hang on to him. Last like two years, he's been like the guy that everyone's kind of waiting on. But you know what? For someone like JT, it's worth it, and. I, I think I personally yes, like it's still it's not great, right? Like you don't love that trade still, but I think it's worth it. And I think it's it's I would do it again simply because I think JT has been that good and it's so hard to upgrade catching in this league, and right? To bring in the best catcher in baseball, you honestly would give up almost anything. Yeah. So you know I I, I think again, if if you're gonna part with someone like Boom, it it's gonna have to be for someone like Lindor, right? Because you you keep hold of Alec Bones in the hopes that he becomes someone like Francisco Lindor, you know, like, and if you're able to get kind of the, the proven talent in the end, um, that could be good for the Phillies. But yeah, I don't know if the Indians are uh, too, too keen on that kind of deal. Yeah. Don't see that happening. So don't hold your breath. But uh, someone who is holding his breath right now, because he's got two nose plugs and about 15 stitches in said nose is Matt Niskanen. What a brutal puck to the face. Uh, outcome we got from Matt Niskanen, but in a Flyers win. Yeah, I mean, big win over uh, the Red Wings, and Flyers trying, they're just trying so hard to get everyone to pay attention to them, you know? They just, they just, they're coming home with good grades and trying to hang it on the fridge. And um, The interesting thing about the Flyers is it's almost a little bit like the Sixers season where they've been beating up on a little bit of like the weaker teams, but um, you know, and, and some of the games have been closed. They, they haven't really gotten you know, totally wiped off the floor outside, like that Penguins, Penguins game. Um, but yeah, against a lot of the more competitive teams, they they haven't been as great. Their their record, uh, I think they're uh, pretty good notch below 500 against uh, like kind of playoff teams so far. But you know, man, like they're 14 seven and five going into yesterday's game. It's the first time that they, I believe, were above 500 since the Stanley Cup season or their best record since the Stanley Cup season. They're in third place in the Metropolitan Division, and, you know, that's what you want to see. They have 33 points on the season, only one point behind the Islanders. I mean, it's been brutal at points, but this Flyers team is is playing well. Yeah, and, I mean, you see some great offensive performance like you saw yesterday against the Red Wings, and that, that obviously gets you interested, and, yeah, I mean, there's there's things to be happy about, and you're starting to see some of the, the veteran guys as well turn a corner in their production so far this season. 
like JVR, I think is the only one that hasn't really quite got there yet. But you know, this is this is a good sign for the Flyers. And yeah, I, I what I like about them this season as well is taking risks on some younger players. It's something we haven't seen from really any of the Philly sports teams outside the Sixers, and that's just because that's who they drafted. They have any other options. Um, but yeah, you know, we complained about with the Phillies and the Flyers if it felt like you know. We've constantly heard for years and years about their great there. prospect depth, and you know the only guys you've really seen are like Provorov and Gospierre coming out. Uh, and TK, uh, yeah, and TK. But the, I mean, those are all within the last you know three to four seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, kind of seeing these other like next names like Morgan Frost, too. like get really excited about and come up and play well so far. Therabee. Carter Hart last year, like you're starting to see like some of this young talent actually start to play for the Flyers, and that's good, and and makes it more exciting and. I mean, you gotta say like they, they've played well so far. Like it's not an they're not an amazing team like mm-hmm. blowing your doors off, but you know they keep playing like this, and I think uh, people people have no choice but to pay attention to the Flyers. Up in Canada today uh, against the Canadiens, three p.m. start, and then they get the Maple Leafs on Tuesday back home for the start of a three-game home stretch against the Maple Leafs, Coyotes, and Senators. Which all three of those games, honestly, all four of these next you know, games that they have should be simple wins for this team as long as they, you know, be. <laughs> play the way that they're supposed to and just, you know, kind of do all the little things right. They should win their next four, which would give them a seven-game winning streak. Yeah, and I mean, think about this season, too. You've had, like, shootout wins and losses, like some really close games as well. Um, so that's interesting for the Flyers. But, yeah, you would hope that they could uh, go on a nice win streak, but there's one thing we know about the Flyers is that they do the exact opposite of what is expected, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them drop, like, four out of five. <laughs> Very true. Uh, like we said at the top of the show, make sure you head over to our Design Tree storefront through the entire weekend. That is dsgntree.com. Search Underground Sports Philadelphia. Use promo code Black Friday. You get 20% off your entire order. That's shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, all that good stuff. You get everything. The Peacemaker uh, player jersey, the Brett's Bombas t-shirt, the Underground Sports Philadelphia logo shirt and hoodie, the On the Road to Victory stuff, everything that you could imagine. It is 20% off with the promo code Black Friday at our Design Tree storefront. And make sure you guys are following us on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. Got a lot of sports action going on these next couple days with the Sixers, Flyers, and the Eagles. So at UndergroundPHI. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Castorina. You can follow me on Twitter at KBIZZL311. And make sure you guys subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews with whatever Philly sports nonsense you want to leave. We will read them on the show if you leave them. And you can also follow us on Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app, and you can subscribe on Radio.com. As always, show brought to you by Main Auto LLC, Ducharms Pro Foot. Make sure you head over there today for Small Business Saturday. Check out all of their deals this weekend as well. Security 21, Wainwright Bernhardt Funeral Home, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, Bob Novick Auto Mall, Mark Ronchetti CPA LLC, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. We are working on some big things coming, so that's why you need to follow us on Twitter. And uh, this has been Underground Sports Philadelphia, episode number 189. We will catch you guys live again on Wednesday. So for Matt, I'm Kyle, and we are signing off. Peace.